It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK and a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast, the Christmas edition, no less. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. My guest on this episode was Chris Wright. Who, I hear you say? Well, you know Spandau Ballet? You know Blondie? You know Midjure out of off of Ultravox? He started them all in the music business because he founded Chrysalis Records and ran it through the 1970s and 1980s. And when he finished with that, he went into TV and was instrumental in bringing Midsummer Murders to the small screen, a show which has literally conquered the world. And we discuss its success a bit in our chat. He's also a football fan and he used to run QPR. So uh, an interesting chap, it's fair to say. And he's got some views on Brexit he was keen to share. I went along to London's swanky High Street Kensington to Chris's office along with Simon Usherwood. He was a lowly reader in politics at Surrey University last time he was on this podcast. Now he's deputy director of the UK and a changing Europe. So congratulations to him on that. I wanted to talk to Chris about the impact of Brexit on the creative industries and particularly the music industry in which he's been such a big cheese. And since it's Christmas, there was uh, there's a little bonus Christmassy chat at the very end that's worth sticking around for. And I'll be back after that bit with my observations and gubbins. And maybe I'll try and find some Christmassy music for the outro this week. But given the pictures on the wall of Chris's office, and the gold discs and all that sort of stuff, I started with a question that I think any normal person would ask. Who's the most famous person you've met? Oh my God, I've never been asked that question. Oh, come on. (laughs) Well, I did sit next to Donald Trump once. Wow. And I'll tell you where it was. It was at the Victoria's Secrets fashion show in New York several years ago. I'm very friendly with the chap that runs Victoria's Secrets and you're aware of this show. It's like we're all the top models I'm in the world. Aware, yeah. They fall over each other to, to actually sort of model the lingerie. Yes. It's a, it's a huge TV show. And I, I arrived at the event, uh, invited by my friend to find myself sitting in the very front row right by the catwalk with an empty seat next to me. And who should come and sit next to me just as the show starts? Donald Trump. And how was he? I think he was more interested in the uh, looking at the models than talking to me. <laughs> but I guess that has to be the most famous person I know, because I know lots of famous people, but the uh, President of the United States is probably the most famous person in the world. Well, indeed. Well, of course, I've met the Queen. Oh, well, oh, that's pretty close. And most there. of the royal family. Oh, uh, when did you meet the Queen? Around Brexit um, time? I've met the Queen at industry functions, also at uh, horse racing, when I do horse racing things. What do you think? Is the Queen a Brexiteer? I think it's pretty clear that the younger members of the royal family are definitely opposed to Brexit. Yeah. Uh, as far as the Queen's concerned, I think it's very hard to say. Obviously, Paul Dacre of the Mail tried to make a big issue that the Queen was a Brexiteer. I would imagine that demographically that a 90-year-old a 90-year-old lady of immense financial means would fall into more of a Brexit camp than most people. So I would imagine 
The Queen probably is emotionally a Brexiteer. She's also very involved with the Commonwealth. And I think the Brexiteers see the Commonwealth as being the substitute mm. for for uh, our relationship with the European Union. So I would not be surprised if she was, but I, it's pretty clear that the younger members of the royal family are probably very pro-Remain. Um, you're an expert on Eurosceptics then, Simon. The Here we go. Uh, does the Queen fit the, fit the model of a, a Brexit year? As Chris says, she fits uh, a lot of the demographics. She doesn't have uh, further education, older... So, yeah, you would expect that there would be a tendency in an aggregate, but of course the Queen's an individual. Uh, I, but I think the key point is the Queen takes her uh, duties uh, very assiduously to not get involved in those kind of political <laughs> questions, so she's not going to say anything. Well so done. I think we, we'll probably never get a definitive answer. All right, we've established, uh, Chris, that you knock around with loads of famous people then. Yeah, well... Um, of, Over the of, years, let's concentrate on the uh, the pop stars and all the rest of mm-hmm. it. Do you know any Brexiteer pop stars? Uh, no, I don't. Um, Have you discussed Brexit with pop stars? I bet there are some, but but I, I don't I don't know them all. I actually, I don't. I'm not actually in the habit these days of hanging around pop stars to <laughs> such an extent that I would discuss uh, Brexit with them. But interestingly, I know it's slightly different, but I do think someone was telling me the other day that there is a real possibility, because you can say the same thing about America and Trump, there's a real possibility that Taylor Swift might be a pop star in America who is pro-Trump. No. Without saying so, yes. Say it so, not Tay-Tay. You yes. saying Tay-Tay might be a I'm bit saying someone said that and they came up with some quite interesting uh, sort of superficial evidence that that might be the case. Oh, that's just... Um, Today's gone downhill very rapidly, I She comes from the, the South, uh, you know, she's country, you know, country music kind True. of person yes. in the South. Again, she fits the demographic. But I don't think she'll come out and say that because, you know, it wouldn't really be appropriate. And um, I think she's... One thing that Taylor Swift is pretty smart and she's not going to upset the bulk of her fan base. But there was, you know... So in terms of Brexit, though... Morrissey. We know Morrissey's pro-Brexit, right? Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he... I mean, I'm not saying the two things are connected at all, but I think we can we know that Morrissey is a pretty awful character, and <laughs> and we also know he. I think we're we're aware he's pro Brexit. Am I right? Is he are you in your Brexit your Brexit studies? No, have you not focus of study. Oh, okay, mm. there's bound to be some. Look, I mean, we were trying to knock around names of people who have got involved in the Brexit debate from the world of pop. Lily, well, Allen, think... Lily Allen is very pro Remain. I think it's fair to say off Twitter. Mm. Bob Geldof, obviously. Well, I know, the I know, yeah, there's no, there's no question with Bob. Uh, Roger Daltrey, apparently, you reckon Simon is a... Roger a Daltrey, remainer? I mean, actually, well, I think what you will find is that if there were, at the time of the campaign, if there were any famous people of any description that were pro-Brexit, the mail would have found them and they would have used them. <laughs> and they did use Roger Daltrey. Hmm. So, yes, that's one. I think uh, Tim Rice is certainly more wavers on the pro-Brexit side than the remain side and I think that uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is on the more remain side and I know them both so I mean I know but I think I think you know in Tim's case you know again 70 plus male uh, also you know he's a very traditionalist he's very cricket orientated cricket (laughs) is very commonwealth orientated you know the sound of leather on willow and all of that kind (laughs) of thing and the warm beer in the pub it's very much the 
harking back to you know the golden age. I mean, I, there, was an, there was an article in the Mail a few weeks ago saying that the people in England were at their happiest in 1959, and I think in a way <laughs> that is the age that Brexiters want to go back to. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Uh, we're talking about pop stars and stuff. To what extent uh, does popular culture? I mean, we're talking about who who was Brexiteer and who was Remainer. To what extent do, do popular culture figures actually influence elections, referendums, voters in general? Relatively little, uh, partly because, as Chris is saying, a lot of cultural figures won't express an opinion, or you know that somebody will find mm. a comment that they made some years before and, and, and mm. take that out of context. But um, as much as people tend not to trust these days politicians mm. or uh, other kind of more obvious figures, uh, they also don't particularly follow or trust uh, cultural figures. I, maybe someone like David Beckham. I seem to remember seeing some figures in the in the referendum saying that David Beckham would be a crucial, you know, be one of yes. the more trusted figures. Mm-hmm. That he was somebody who was has a kind of a track record of being sort of culturally and politically engaged in broad terms, and that if he came out, which he did, in favour of yeah. uh, the EU, that would have an impact. And in the event, you didn't see any obvious impact. Um, but he was wheeled out in the Scottish referendum as well, wasn't he? There was yeah. a few like that. And of course, David Bowie famous, famously got involved in the Scottish referendum, bizarrely. Although, who knows if it made any difference. I mean. <laughs> but I think, probably, you know, the only person who, the only kind of cultural figure who really kind of got any traction was Bob Geldof, and mainly because of the debate about whether he had done more harm than good with... Uh, his actions during the what was it the Battle of the Thames? Yeah, the Thames. well, Bob's very passionate about things, which is great. That's that's just Bob, and so Bob will put more into it than most yeah. people. Yeah, just just sort of finally on the, the the sort of pop star thing. I mean, I know it's also to some extent it's flim flam, but do pop stars in your you know you've obviously worked with an awful lot of pop stars over over the years? Do they engage in politics, or are they the sort of uh, you know, the, the, the stereotype would be that they're all a bit simple from the sort of the spinal tap types and they're not really interested or they don't get it or whatever. Um, what's well, your yeah, experience uh, in that regard? Again, there's, there's all kinds. I mean, there will be some that will be very engaged. On the whole, most musicians and artists are, are focused on their own careers and their own music and, their, and themselves. They're not necessarily people that think about the greater world. Um, yeah, I suppose you forget, actually. I mean, you know... Do they know it's Christmas? Was actually huge because, as you say, pop stars didn't engage in this stuff, and then suddenly, Bob Geldof and Midyear sort of went right. We yeah. will engage in the mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. and it was surprising. Although, of course, I don't know if you, whether you were involved in that. But well, Midyear was one of my was signed to Chrysalis, yeah. and uh, and you know I'm still involved with Midyear, and I know Midge pretty well, so I think Midge, you know, he's a Remainer, right? He fits the he's um, Scottish, so he fits the uh, the Remainer mold, I thought. I can't say for sure because I haven't discussed it with him. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't, but you know, I don't know. Yeah, but you kind of forget that this was such a big deal back in whatever it was. 84. Well, it was, but I mean, Bob did a Bob did a fantastic thing there, and you know, you've got to take your hats off to him. Bob can make things happen, and I think the thing with the uh, the thing on the boat in the Thames, Bob was was very very upset about the incident in Yorkshire, and he knew. Uh, the the husband very very well, and mm. this was the Joe Cox murder. Yeah, the Joe Cox murder, and um, you know I think that's why Bob, you know, got even more involved. I think that for that was the trigger for Bob was that not just the campaign in general. Mm. 
talking and editing, talking and editing. Let's let's move on to the, the more substantive stuff. I think we've established you're a Remainer, and you are concerned about the effect of Brexit on the creative industries in which you're involved. So, why? What's the problem? How is Brexit going to affect the music industry in the first instance? The starting point is Brexit is going to affect everything, mm. and every single every single aspect of our lives will be affected by Brexit. And I don't think anybody really understands quite how significant everything will be. I mean, I've got family that live in Anguilla, in the Car- in the, in the Caribbean. Mm. Anguilla is a British overseas possession. What we used to call colonies, yeah. but it, in order to sustain itself, it has to have seamless trade with the island of Saint Martin, which is half Dutch and half French, because all the supplies come in and out, all the tourists come in, everything comes in and out. If there's a hard border between Anguilla and Saint Martin, <laughs> it's exactly the same as a hard border in Ireland. But then there are so many. But people have, haven't thought about. That's just one thing that people haven't thought about. All of you know, all of the goods coming in and out of the country. Uh, I'm involved in the in horse racing industry. Mm. I'd say most of the people in the racing industry are big Brexiters. They come from that kind of, you know, country, you know, British traditions mm. and that kind of demographic. They all like they all race their horses in France. They think it's great because the prize money is better. Yeah. All bloodstock is is a mare living in England goes to Ireland to be yeah, yeah. covered it comes back from Ireland the foal but then might go to France to be sold there's this all of this movement taking place all the time how are you going to move horses around when you've got customs checks and border <laughs> checks because it's it's one thing having you know the peaches from Spain rotting in the truck clearing customs in Dover but you can't send a horse to run in France and have it stuck at the port yes. for, for three days or more. <laughs> mm. I mean, has anyone thought about... No. Um, I think we need to go to Anguilla for a podcast, Simon. Can you sign that off? Yeah. I think it's worth uh, a try. Um, <laughs> is it really worth a try? It's <laughs> worth finding out. Uh, yes. In terms of uh, music or creative yeah. industries, is it, a, is it a creative issue in terms of sort of borders and our borders? Or is it simply to do with cash? Because... You know, as far as I can see with music, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, very much that both the cultural trade is with America, you know, all that pop music essentially. You know, apart from Plastic Bertrand, there's not a lot coming over the channel the other way. Oh, no, you're not, And there's a lot of money coming from America, I'd suggest, but you yeah, may, but you can put me right. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're wrong about it because there is an awful lot of, uh, of interrelation in, with, between the UK and, and, and Europe in general on music. And it's, it's not just Plastic Bertrand. There's lots of groups come out of... Of your and big Ooh. groups as well. Well, I mean, there's in, from Germany that you know there's been quite a lot. There's the from France there's been quite, there's been a lot. There's Sweden. There's a huge pool. Some of the best pop pop music writers are from Sweden. Writers, of course, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking just about ABBA. I'm talking about contemporary writers yes. that are working with 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 major English artists and major American artists. Some of those writers are Swedish. You'd be astonished that that the intertrade. Uh, at a creative level, between English and, and European people is just as much as between English and American. Just as much. Yes, I, I would be amazed. Um, and, but, but I mean, I'm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to make the point that the creative industry or the music industry is going to be affected any worse than any other industry. It will be affected. It's my industry, and it will be affected. But other industries will be affected just as much. It's okay. not like. 
I'm not trying to single out the music no. industry, but I mean, I go back to the days when, I mean, I've been around long enough to know what it was like before the EU. Of course, yes. Most people haven't, but I have. And I remember what it was like when you toured groups before, mm. you know, when there was a border, you had to, you know, you, you, you've got a truck with all your equipment in, you've got to get a carnate listing all the equipment, you've got to make sure that that equipment that you take out to do that show that you're doing in Paris or Amsterdam or, or Dusseldorf, wherever it might be, all of that comes back in, you're not exporting it. You know, because otherwise you'd load up your truck with a few mi extra microphones and you can flog them off when you get there. The same thing coming back. This is a very, it's quite a complicated thing. Now, I mean, how, are you going to wave through a truck full of, of equipment? Just, oh, it's a, you know, it's a group going to do a gig in Amsterdam. You know, we're not worried about that. All right, but the rules have to apply right across the board. If there is a hard border, there is a hard border. If there is no hard border, great. But whilst there is a chance of there being a hard border, and a very good chance, this is a big issue and just as big for, for every aspect of the music industry as for any other industry. Simon, where does music and the creative industries fit into Brexit? I mean, has anybody done much research into this? Because, A, I, I don't know how much it's worth, but it's a big industry. You know, the British are particularly good at pop music, let's face it. Um, and there's also this issue of, uh, you know, soft power that we have throughout the world via our music. Is enough? Has research been done into it? Not a specific sexual analysis, but certainly one of the things you do see is that soft power is a key part of you know, kind of the rhetoric of uh, those who wanted to leave. So during the referendum, you know, people would say, well, you know, still the UK has this great international presence, partly articulated through creative industries, whether mm. that's music or literature or film or mm. TV, that actually the, the country does... Uh, punch above its weight to use that old uh, yeah. kind of trope um, and so one of the questions I think is you know how much does that carry on you know there's a lot of inertia in these kind of things it doesn't change overnight you know if you think about going back to Donald Trump you know just because uh, Donald Trump is president of the US it doesn't mean that US soft power is immediately diminished sure um, and still everyone watches Hollywood films and listens to uh, Taylor mm -hmm. Swift maybe not after this podcast but uh, <laughs> All of those things, you know, carry on. So it's it's a question about, you know, how much you can rely on that and how much you can translate that, if you want to think about it in more commercial terms, what the commercial benefit is. Hmm. I think Chris's point is a good one, is that these industries are very internationalised. If you think about film, for example, production is international very often, mm. a lot of cross-national, cross-board yeah. funding, mm. Uh, mm. international crews, mm. uh, casts, mm. marketing. So there are economies of scale mm. that, that come particularly in that kind of section of the market. Mm. And you can't underestimate the importance of the British cultural heritage on what it means Britain means to the world in general. You can get off a plane anywhere, anywhere in the world, in the middle of Africa, you get in a car, you turn on the radio, the chances are it's a British group singing a British song recorded in Britain with maybe you know other people from other countries on it. You go to your, your hotel room, you turn on the TV, there's a film with British actors or British artists. There's, you know, and it goes all the way back to Shakespeare and Charles Dickens and the Beatles and all of this is thrown into this pot. And people think about uh, Great Britain and they think about our cultural heritage. Mm. It is so important in giving us that relevance in the world and it is something which should be 
protected and nurtured and preserved and government should understand this and, and they don't and that's why I get particularly annoyed at people like the Daily Mail that constantly rail against lovies. You know, anybody that is a creative person is like, you know, a, a terrible kind of creature. Well, it shouldn't be because we're the best thing that the country's got going for it. We don't, you know, that, that taxi or car you get into in the middle of Africa where you're listening to British music, the car would be produced in Japan. Has that happened? Have you got in a car in the middle of Africa and Spandau Ballet's gone on the... Of uh, course. Radio? Well, how does that feel like? You know course, it's one of your bands. It, that must be brilliant. It is brilliant. It, of course it's brilliant. And it happens all the time wherever you are. Now, if you go back like 50, 60, 70 years, the car would have been built in Britain. Yes. And this would have been built in Britain. And that would have... But now... The only thing that you get is the music and the film and the TV and so forth that was built in Britain. And we should nurture it. And, and it just really upsets me that governments you know, don't understand the relevance of that. It's an interesting point the way it's downplayed that because I noticed recently, the last film I went to see, because I am really cool, was Paddington 2. Um, and it, of course it's a Canal Plus co-production. Mm -hmm. And I did think, well, what happens after Brexit? Because a Canal Plus assume they're French are they going to want to put any money into Paddington or into British films what, what, what happens and of course Star Wars has made lots of that's made mm. in the UK but mm. that's, I suppose that's America I mean the other side of it of course is that the pound has devalued post Brexit um, so all our expertise all our records all this stuff is cheaper for people overseas to pay for so could Brexit actually be a good thing if it might, it, might make, it might make our facilities cheaper in terms of, you know, yeah. with a devalued pound, yes. I mean, there's, there, there is that, that aspect. It's the one thing that, you know, a Brexiter, you know, looks at a, as being like the big success. The stock market's up in, in terms of sterling, but down in terms of international currency. But because the pound is low and, you know, any company which is valued internationally now has a greater value in sterling, I mean, it's one thing you can look at, but I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a, for me, it's a small plus. I mean, it's okay if you are a manufacturer, manufacturing goods in the UK, like maybe JCB. I know that, that uh, well, he's, he's a big Brexiter, but of course, JCB is, is one of the few examples of a British manufacturing industry selling throughout the world. And I imagine Brexit is, is a big bonus for JCB. I mean, the thing is, uh, you know, Emma Thompson's not going to become rubbish overnight when we leave the EU. The expertise is still going to be there, and it's going to be cheaper. So uh, you, surely you can make a case that uh, yeah, I, Brexit I, yeah, is I good. Agree. In I think, financial terms, Brexit is good. I suppose the, uh, the argument that in, yeah. it's a creative in the creative terms, it's not because you're sort of closing yourself off. You could be seen to be closing yourself off. I don't. I don't think Brexit, as such, is going to diminish the cultural significance of of the country. It's, it's going to change things in specific things like groups touring abroad in Europe. And, mm. you know, it, it's, it's the practical issues which have, have to be overcome, not the overall emotional issues. It's a strange one, isn't it, Simon? You know, you can make a case that Brexit will be good, purely in financial terms, if you like. I, will, I find it really weird because I studied history and devaluations were always regarded as embarrassing and a bad thing. The most recent devaluation following the referendum about is a great thing. But um, in financial terms, you can say it's going to be a good thing. And yet, I'd suggest Brexiteers 
did not flag this up during the referendum going vote for Brexit because you know yeah. we'll become better you know our music and creative right. industries will become but bigger think, as, as Chris says it was all about flagging think, lobbies yeah but I think their, their argument was more that you know these things will carry on and it's Chris's argument as well that you know these things will carry on because you know those things don't change uh, overnight people don't consume culture on price typically you know you don't buy a record more because it's a bit cheaper you buy it because you like it and again mm. it's a it's about the quality of what people produce. Don't buy records anymore, so I would hate to break this to you. No, I know, but you, know, <laughs> but you buy a download, or you know, yeah, you know yeah, the, the kind of things you, you know. You so, and so, pricing is now because so many people are buying online, or even not buying their, their streaming through yeah. services. Well, they're buying um, the streaming. Yeah. So, but the, the price of the streaming is unlikely to change radically. Yeah. Although potentially, if you're going to have to renegotiate intellectual property rights, then that might raise prices mm. or costs. So there are. There are multiple factors going on. And um, where did Spotify come from? Sweden. Know. Oh, yes, of course. Sweden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's with the Swedish pop music? I mean, Universal Records. Who owns Universal Records? Don't know. And it's French, French owned. Yeah. Is it? Mm. <laughs> Should have done, so done more research, shouldn't I? So, again, it's, it's a question about how it changes patterns of ownership, access to services. So, the point uh, is, is a good one about all the supporting people who help artists produce and uh, perform and tour that you know that's uh, professional services of various kinds so they're also going to be going through lots of transitions and if nothing else there's going to be a whole load of rewriting of contracts to take account of the changing uh, legal situation about free movement or about access to services internationally it's one of these things that's not unmanageable. You know, come back to the US. Clearly, the US is not part and never has been part of the EU, but still has a lot of penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things are manageable and will be managed. But it, it's a question of disruption and transition costs that uh, is difficult. And again, the issue has has been discussed on other episodes. Is at the moment we don't know what the future relationship yeah. is. So it's hard to to plan very far ahead because you know things seem to change from week to week it's an edit someone said something boring or illegal maybe told some slanderous story about boris johnson you'll never know let's just mention uh midsummer murders yes Uh, for all your (laughs) uh involvement with really cool pop stars and stuff you've also done midsummer murders which whatever you might say about it is not cool i think that's fair to say but well, it's literally shown in like every country in the world. It is shown in every country in the world, and it has been an amazing success. I mean, uh, you know, is, is there a specific Brexit worry? I mean, in terms of not in terms of bits of murders, or maybe, um, in terms, maybe in terms of bits of murders, but in terms of selling programs formats around the world, or is it the same as the sort of music industry in the sense that the same issues come to? to I think it's, a, it's the same as the music industry. I mean, if there's a if, this, if, if you create a, a creative product that people want, uh, they, will, they will buy it. It's not, it's not going to stop Midsummer Murders being sold around the world. It's in, ter- it's in terms of you know, the creative process here, it's just the movement of people coming in and out of the country to you know, not just perform, not the, not the on-screen people, but the behind-the-scenes creative people. You know, there might be a particular talented director or someone mm. that's you know involved with one part of the process who's who's Hungarian or Czech or German or French or something and how do they get their permits to come in the country and work on that 
that production? Are you able to do that? And if you can't, oh, well, we might as well produce it somewhere in the EU anyway, and then we can get all the people coming in that we want. Um, you found a bit of a murder statement? Uh, I can't say that I've watched it recently. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Let's just make it personal briefly. Given the glamorous lifestyle that you have led, I'm assuming you are loaded. Uh, you fit the, uh, with all due respect, older person. Mm-hmm. Uh, not old, just older mm-hmm. uh, profile. Mm-hmm. So you presumably are going to uh, insulated from the worst financial effects of Brexit, if there are to be any. Why do you care? Because I care. <laughs> it's, a fair, I mean, it's perfectly acceptable. You know, I mean, I, I, because I care. You're absolutely right. Why am I having sleepless nights over it? Why, why is it affecting me so badly? It's not, it's not going to change my life. It'll change the lives of my kids, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worry about that. It, I, and I do think, and their kids, I do think that you know, their future is going to be a lot worse than it should have been. But from my personal standpoint, at my age, it's not going to affect me you know, dramatically. But that's not the point. I don't think like that. I think about what is the right thing and what's the right thing for the country, not what's the right thing for me. I don't, when I go to a polling booth to vote, I don't think, oh, I'm going to vote there because I'm going to pay less taxes if I do that. I'm go- I think about what is the right thing for the country. Maybe I'm just different, but that's how I think. Best thing. Oh. Worst thing. Chris, the best thing about Brexit because surely there are, you accept there might be good things. What, in your view, will be the best thing? I can't think of any. All right, it's going to get cheaper. That's got to be a good thing. Right? Is that not possibly a good What's thing? What's going to get cheaper? Well, in terms of your creative industries will be cheaper for people from abroad to buy. Is that, that's, no. No? No. Um, <laughs> that. If you give me a, you should have, uh, you should have warned me. You should have warned me. Give, give me did. a couple of weeks to think oh, of I'll something. Oh, I'll give you a day. You gave me 24 hours. <laughs> And it takes longer than that to think of something. That... QPR might get better. No. <laughs> Everybody else might get worse and come down to QPR's level. Nothing. Well, good. I mean, you're I the suppose... first person we've had on that's about nothing good about Brexit. All right, given that, then you again, you only allowed one thing for the next question. Yes. What's going to be the worst thing about Brexit? I think the worst thing about it is not so much all of the the practical things which we've discussed. I think the worst thing about it is that I think it is regressive and I think it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is being uh, led by, by people that are small-minded, that don't see the bigger picture, that are, that are blinkered to the way the world is developing. In terms of sort of practical results from that, if you like, is that just a, a worse political environment or does it make the nation sort of more small-minded and inward-looking? Yes, it makes the nation small-minded and inward-looking. It's a bit like Trumpism as well. What's the worst thing about Trumpism? It's the same thing. It's like, you know, that there is a, unless you are kind of a certain kind of English-British kind of person, you're, you know, you're, you're regarded as being not quite, you know, what we want to be. Well, you say that, but, you know, if Tay-Tay's into Trumpism, I might have to revisit it and, uh, and, and revise my opinion. I think it's small-minded. <laughs> I think it's small-mindedness. It's the small-minded aspect of it which upsets me most of all. I think that Britain has a major place in the world, despite the fact that we are 
in terms of the growing, the large growing countries in the Far East and around the world in general, we are an island nation of 60 million people. We're not the biggest country in the world, but I do think we are still a very important country. And I think removing ourselves from the EU is going to make us a smaller and less significant country. Okay, let's move on to, oh, I'll see if I can get it right. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not proved sufficiently enlightening. I think that's what this feature is called. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Recommendations for how to understand Brexit. We're building up a library of uh, all sorts of different <coughs> things. Uh, let's start with you, Simon. You're not allowed to recommend your own stuff. You did last time. I anyway. did last so you, time. You run out of that. Uh, what would you recommend currently uh, to understand Brexit? At the moment, well, one of the things that's going on, and we're kind of sort of critical point in the, the negotiations about Article 50. There's some really good journalists covering the negotiations mm. in Brussels. So I'm going to give you uh, Jennifer Rankin, who uh, writes for The Guardian, uh, uh, Matthew uh, Gutteridge, who writes for The Express, and uh, Matt Holhouse. All three of them really good on Twitter, a lot of thoughtful comments, and not just kind of their newspaper lines, but actually just kind of telling you what's actually going on, which I think is, is really helpful. And just to be clear, the man from the Express, have you included him just because he's probably a bit Brexity? No. Because last time you recommended two twi- Twitter accounts, and one of them, I then got an awful lot of blowback from one of them, yeah. just, just for recommending him. He didn't like yeah. the fact that I'd recommended him for no. some reason. He the, was really touchy. All three of them are... I'm not going to get any chip off any of these people. All three of them are really useful people, and right. they shouldn't give you any grief. Good. And nor should the two that who I recommended last time. Yeah, that was a bit odd. Uh, Chris, your recommendation for understanding Brexit. You're not allowed to recommend your own stuff. You do have your own podcast. I will plug it called Article Fifty, which I don't know. You just if you just Google Chris Wright Article Fifty, I guess it will come up. I guess I can't remember the name of the website. I guess so. That is that's that's right. Uh, The cartoonist in the Times. Ah. Now, quite how he gets away with it, but. I, I know Brexiters that don't read the Times now because they think the whole paper's completely Brexit and it's all based on the cartoonist. It's almost as direct as the mail is direct throughout in the, on the other side of the equation. That is a good recommendation. Cartoonist, that's a bit different. We haven't had one of them yet. So <laughs> thank you for that. We will add that to the growing list of recommendations which you can find on my website. Talking and editing, talking and editing. What's the best Christmas song you've been involved in? Oh. Any of your well, artists we, make... I mean, obviously, yes. do they know it's Christmas? No, no, we have had Christmas songs. I mean, we, um, Jethro Tull had a song called really? Gaudete. That oh, was oh a, yes, That was a big Christmas hit. We had Steel Ice Span that had a big hit with All Around My Hat for Christmas. Although it wasn't exactly... That is not the best Christmas exactly song you've been a Christmas with. song. Gaudete was a Christmas song because yeah, it, was yeah. a, it was a Christmas carol. So in terms of me personally, I'd have to say that. But in terms of Christmas songs, I think there's loads of very, very good Christmas songs. And, uh, you know, I love, I love hearing them. I mean, they are so good at what they are. You know, whether it's the, you know, the, the, the Slade or, the, or the, uh, the Roy Wood. They're both great songs. The, even uh, the, the, the Greg Lake was a very good song. Yes. The, obviously the Pogues and Kirsty McColl. The uh, the David Essex is uh, uh, is only a Christmas right. uh, is only a Winter's Tale, <laughs> very, written by Tim Rice and Mike Bat. Was it? Lovely song, lovely song. There's yeah. so many good songs 
And these these come out every year and sustain because they are good songs. We need to tie in Christmas and Brexit. You got a favourite, Simon? You got a favourite favourite Christmas song? I can't I can't say that it's a particular genre that I've. Oh I've come on! Everyone's to. got a favourite Christmas think, you know, song. Well, I think we could say. You don't that, be you know, too cool for Christmas no, songs. I I can't quite. You must have a favourite. Everyone likes. I'm not going to be true. If you're cool, then you're going to say the Pogues. Yeah, but if you're I'm not, not cool, not then cool. you're going to say Slade. I'm also not going to say Slade. Shaking Stevens. No. Oh come on! I didn't say Shaking Stevens. But it's, it's, they're all good. <laughs> yeah. they, everyone. They sustained from year to year because they are good songs. Yes. Good records. You're a Grinch, Simon Ashwood. Yes, I am. He is as well. He's a right old Grinch, that Simon Ashwood. He boycotted last week's UK and a Changing Europe Christmas Brexit quiz. My goodness, that was a thing. There was a question about the EU's Lisbon agenda. And the man who actually wrote the Lisbon agenda was in the room. Still got the question wrong. Uh, there was a question about Article 50. And there was people in the room who had copies of Article 50 on them that they carry with them at all times. What I'm uh, basically trying to say is that there was no shame in me being on the team that came last, okay? And anyway, I came second in the annual Christmas quiz for Scottish lobby journalists later that week, so it wasn't my fault, it was the questions set by Anand Menon. So, Chris Wright was interesting. Uh, by the way, do you like my uh, Christmassy outro music? It is called This Is Christmas by Scott Holmes. And the uh, intro music, I should say at this point, was, as ever, Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. So yeah, Chris Wright, music entrepreneur... Uh, mogul maybe was interesting he thinks brexit is bad but britain's brilliant cultural industries will carry on so that's okay i think you'll still be able to get in a taxi in botswana and listen to the eurythmics uh, and indeed go back to your hotel room and watch midsummer murders because that is on everywhere it's bizarre isn't it so, my thanks to Chris for inviting us around to his office with its uh, pictures of him meeting Bill Clinton and other such worthies on the wall. It wasn't a picture of him meeting Donald Trump, strangely enough. I'm not suggesting that story wasn't true, just maybe he's not so proud of meeting Donald Trump. Where else can you get a Brexit podcast that runs the cultural gamut from Dickens and Shakespeare to Taylor Swift and Plastic Bertrand? Hey. Bet you've forgotten about Plastic Bertrand. Now you'll be humming that song for the rest of the day. His one song. Right, talking about music, the correct answer to the which is the best Christmas song question is, of course, Just Like Christmas by Lowe. Although I am quite into, uh, what's it called? That'll Be Christmas by Thea Gilmore this year. For some reason, that one's uh, on my iPod quite a lot. Yes, it is an iPod. Um, Christmas is here which means there'll be no more podcasts this year. My thanks to all and any listeners who've joined me as we get the Brexit breakdown off the ground. Um, we'll be back in 2018, and we may make some tweaks to the format. If you've got ideas or suggestions to that end, please get in touch. You can email podcasts at gmail.com, tweet me at politicalyeti, tweet the UK and a Changing Europe, they're at UK and EU, and their website is ukandeu.ac.uk. My website is james-miller.com, where you can find all the recommendations that we've been accruing through the series so far. And of course, you can no doubt leave messages on SoundCloud or on your preferred podcast provider. We're on iTunes and Acast. 
Um, please go on there and rate and review us. Subscribe, rate, review, give us nice words and lots of stars. Please, it's Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas. There's lots of good rates and reviews on uh, iTunes and Acast. This has been the Brexit Breakdown from the UK in a Changing Europe. Supported by King's College London, funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. Join me again in January when I'll be joined by Remainer King Chukaramuna. And until then, have a very happy Christmas, Festivus, New Year, general festive season. And uh, yeah, join me again in 2018. Thank you.